This is the Education Exchange with Paul Peterson. I am the senior editor at Education Next. Thank you for joining us. Should private schools that receive monies via school voucher and tax credit programs be regulated? In Florida, businesses and individuals are given a tax credit for donations to foundations that give scholarships to low-income students who attend private schools. The private schools are subject to very few state regulations, and the tax credit program has proven quite successful in helping students graduate from high schools and enrolling in college. In Louisiana, a state-authorized voucher program imposes a variety of regulations on private schools. For example, they must participate in state testing programs, and they must select students at random if they are oversubscribed. Many private schools have refused to participate in the program, and at least during the first years of the program, students seem to be doing less well if they use the voucher than if they attend local public schools. So Patrick Wolf and his colleagues at the University of Arkansas have been conducting research on both the Louisiana Scholarship Program and also on the effect that excessive regulation can have on private school uh, participation. So I'm very pleased today to have Patrick Wolf here to discuss with me two of his research projects. One, his latest results from his investigation of the program in Louisiana, and secondly, his research with his colleagues on uh, the effect of regulation on private school participation. So Pat, let's start with your latest study on Louisiana. Uh, what have you and your colleagues discovered uh, most recently? Sure, Paul. So uh, we have been examining the program over four outcome years. Uh, this is a statewide government-run voucher program, and as you mentioned, uh, it has substantial regulations of the private schools that are in them, including they have to administer the state accountability test to all of their voucher students. What we found is after four years, the students who participated in the program, they won a scholarship lottery, uh, they performed on the state test lower, significantly lower than the randomized control group students most clearly in math, but also for some of our samples uh, in, in English language arts as well. Uh, but across the four years, what we saw, what was really interesting in this case, is the state changed its accountability test twice. So across four years, there were three different accountability tests administered. Um, and in the third year, when there was a new test and no uh, high stakes attached to student scores on that test, the uh, choice students and the control group students scored statistically equivalently in that third year. But in the years where there was high stakes attached and the test was closely aligned to the public school curriculum, we saw uh, negative uh, impacts, experimental impacts of the Louisiana Scholarship Program on those student test scores. So your interpretation we, of this is that when you have a high-stakes test and the state is going to hold the public schools accountable, the public schools uh, really gear up for those tests and make sure the students do as well as possible 
and maybe the private schools uh, aren't so much focused on preparing voucher students for a test? That's certainly one possibility. Uh, we don't have the kind of you know, field evidence to confirm that, but that certainly is a theory to explain this strange pattern of results we see over time. Uh, basically, it could be, well, A, I think there's strong evidence to suggest that public schools, uh, public school students do better on the state test because it's so closely aligned to the curriculum that they're being taught in the classroom. And B, public schools are more geared to, um, to high-stakes standardized testing, and so they, they're better at preparing their students for these tests. It's been a focus of what we've been expecting of public schools, you know, over the past 15 years or so, whereas for private schools, a lot of times high-stakes testing is a brand-new thing, and uh, they, don't, they, they don't have the, the people and the, and the systems in place to uh, organize the students and prepare the students to do their best on those tests. So why did the private schools even participate in these uh, state testing programs? Well, it was, a it was a requirement of being able to receive voucher students. Uh, the voucher is worth about $5,000 in the Louisiana Scholarship Program, so it covered a substantial portion of the tuition at many uh, private schools, uh, but the private schools had to agree to a number of regulations. They had to agree to administer the state accountability test. They had to agree to admit students by lottery and not apply any admissions criteria to the voucher students who wanted to attend. Uh, and, and there were some other sort of reporting and, and oversight uh, regulations as well. So it's a very, it's a very heavily, heavily regulated program. Uh, and as a result, only a third of the private schools in Louisiana agreed to participate. So do the better quality uh, schools in Louisiana decide not to participate, or can't you say that? Well, you know, we, we, we only have imperfect measures of quality because, you know, private schools are free not to test or to test or to test and not report the results. Um, but when you look at factors like uh, tuition levels, and you look at factors like uh, um, enrollment trends. So these are proxies for the quality of private schools. Uh, the private schools in Louisiana that charge higher tuitions and have positive enrollment trends were much less likely to participate in the program than the ones that charge lower tuitions and, and are losing students as opposed to attracting students. So if you believe in those proxies for, for quality, it suggests that the participating private schools are the lower quality ones. Well, if you can get students who will pay a high tuition without participating in a program that has some requirements that you may not feel fit your school, that's probably pretty good evidence that the high quality schools are not participating. That's right, Paul. And Louisiana also has a fairly generous uh, personal uh, income tax credit, state income tax credit for families who self-finance private schooling. So that's a benefit for private schools for which they don't have to be subjected to any government regulation. I see. So they, uh, there are uh, uh, tax breaks for those parents who decide to send their child to a private school. Correct. Over, over and above the voucher program. 
Yes. Well, that's all fascinating, and I'm sure that's related to your latest study because in your latest study, you contacted private school leaders in the states of California and New York to see whether they would be discouraged by state regulations of the voucher program. So that's a very interesting project you have there. How did you design your study in, in California and New York? They don't even have voucher programs. Sure. Well, you know, Paul, we're, we're interested in the general question. I mean, the general uh, idea that a private school choice program is only as good as the schools, the set of schools that participate. And ideally, we would like a very diverse set of high-quality private schools to be serving kids through vouchers or tax credits or, or education savings accounts. Uh, but we know that, that some of these programs come with significant regulations, and we know that the uh, percentage, the proportion of private schools in the state that participate in a program varies pretty significantly across the states that have statewide programs. And so we wanted to see if there are particular regulations that seem to discourage private school leaders from participating in uh, school choice programs, and if there are other regulations that don't discourage them from participating that are sort of benign regulations. How do you study this when there's no program to study? Well, what we do is we set it up as a survey experiment, as a hypothetical uh, so we, we identified the entire population of private school leaders in California and New York, and we randomly uh, assigned them to one of five groups. So they would get one of five different surveys uh, at random. And the surveys were very brief. They just asked a few background questions about the school leader. And then the final question was the experimental question. Uh, and for the control group, it said uh, there is if a if a private school choice program were launched in your state and there were no new regulations attached to it, so your school would not be subject to any additional regulations, a scholarship value of six thousand dollars per student, would you do you, how, how likely do you think you are to participate in that program? And then we have a like we had a Likert type scale. You say it's a control group, but that's basically asking people: Would you participate in a voucher program if there are no regulations attached? And, Correct. Uh, and yes. and you find out and and uh, uh, basically what percentage of the leaders uh, said they they would participate? Paul, about one third of the leaders said they were very likely. To participate, um, and then another third said they were likely to participate, and the rates sort of went went down from there. We really focus on the very likely to participate category because we think, you know, that that that's that's more of a commitment of a real commitment than saying you're likely. You know, if you say you're likely, you're kind of hedging your bets. So so we really base our our analysis and our results on the respondents in the highly likely. To participate category. So, but still, you found about uh, about two thirds of them said they were likely to participate, and then a third of them said they were highly likely, and then right. so that's if there are no regs. But now, I, I think you looked at four different regulations. So, what were the four different regulations? 
The regulations were uh, admitting students by lottery, that is basically not applying any admissions criteria to the students with the vouchers. That was, that was treatment condition one. Treatment condition two uh, was a requirement to administer the state accountability test to your voucher students. So this, this is like the two, two rules in Louisiana, because in Louisiana they had these two rules. You had to admit any student who applied and, and the second one, you had to participate in the test. So those are two of your rules, and then, then you have two right. other rules. Yeah, what were the other two rules? The other two were uh, administering a standardized test, a norm-reference standardized test of the school's choosing, uh, and reporting the results. And then the fourth regulation was not allowing um, a top-up of the voucher amount, so accepting the voucher amount of $6,000 as the full cost of educating the child. So now why uh, did you add those? Are those are those rules you think are onerous or are they being used widely in voucher programs or why did you add those two rules? Those last two are uh, common regulations in private school choice programs across the country. The first two are less common um, and as you say as you mentioned, you know, they are both present in the Louisiana case. Now, we, we in our survey, we only uh, basically uh, suggested one uh, new regulation would be part of the decision. So uh, you have, you have five groups. You have your, your group that's the no regulation at all group, and then the other four groups that you look at, uh, they're all randomly assigned. So each one is a randomly assigned group, but the other four are these... Uh, state exams, national exams, lottery, and no co-payment. Correct. So, so which of these four regulations has the most negative impact on the possibility that uh, private schools would participate according to the survey? It's the open enrollment mandate, Paul. Um, the, the requirement that the private schools accept students uh, by lottery uh, reduced the likelihood of a school leader uh, uh, committing, saying that they are, they are highly likely to participate in a choice program by 19 percentage points. So that's about a 60 percent reduction. Uh, so why do, why the, do the private school point. leaders not want to participate in a voucher program if they've got to have essentially an open door policy? Maybe, I mean, don't we ask that of charter schools? They have to have an open door policy. Why, why aren't private schools willing to admit anybody who wants to come? I, th I think, Paul, it's because they feel that they've built a distinctive school culture and, um, of course, they are prohibited by law from discriminating against students based on race and ethnicity. Uh, but I think many private school leaders feel like there's a kind of student who's going to be successful in their private school environment, and there's a kind that's not. And they want to reserve the ability to you know, say to a family, I don't think our school is the right place for your child, or I think your school, our school is the right place for your child. And if they, if they submit to an open enrollment mandate, they, they surrender that ability um, to play a role in matching students to 
uh, a school environment that's appropriate. For yeah, them. that sounds right. Now, how about the the state exams? Why aren't these schools uh, willing to be held accountable to the state standards? Uh, it seems to me well, like a state says, okay, we're going to give you the money, but then we've got to know whether or not you're effective. So we're going to test you on the test we give to every other school in the state. Well, the state standardized testing requirement was not as uh, as scary um, as the as the open enrollment. It did not discourage participation at, at quite as high a rate. It dropped the proportion of of leaders who said they were highly likely to participate by nine percentage points, which is about a 29% drop. Well, that's still pretty and, sizable. Yeah, it is. It is sizable. And, and Paul, I mean, I think, I think it's because, again, it gets back to this idea of many private schools have designed a distinctive school culture and environment. They typically have alternative curricula and learning approaches. I mean, you think of Montessori schools and Waldorf schools. They sequence certain educational ideas um, differently than the traditional public schools. They might, they might teach physics before biology, um, things like that. And so uh, I think they're concerned of that, that one of two things will happen if they are required to administer the state test. Either their, their, their school will look bad because they're not teaching the state curriculum or, or the state sequencing of, of topics, or they'll change their school culture and their curriculum to match the state, and they'll lose their distinctiveness. So I think, you know, they're, 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 they're worried about losing reputation or losing um, distinctiveness because their curricula um, doesn't doesn't fit the criteria and referenced uh, state accountability. Now, now you, you found less opposition to these nationally normed exams than to the state exams. Now, what is the difference between a nationally normed exam and the state exam? Why would they be less resistant to the second one? The nationally normed exams are less connected to a particular curriculum. They, they try to measure students' mastery of educational skills and general knowledge that are common across curricula. Um, whereas state uh, accountability tests are, are very closely, for the most part, uh, closely aligned with state uh, uh, educational and, and learning standards. And so there's much, they're much more content dependent. Um, and so the, the, the private school leaders are not at all afraid of the norm reference tests. Um, the requirement to administer a norm reference test to students in a choice program had no effect on a leader's willingness to participate in that program. So they're not they're not they're not afraid of testing. They just they just don't want to be required to administer the state test. Yeah, yeah, I see that. But how about this this copay? That was another thing you looked at. Now, I've been to some private schools where they say it's very important that the family put some skin in the game. We want to have them pay for at least some portion of the tuition because otherwise you're not going to have the commitment of the family to this school. So if you have a rule that says you can't set up that that requirement, isn't that a problem for a lot of private schools? Uh, in the aggregate, Paul, we found that uh, prohibiting a copay had no significant effect 
on school leaders' willingness to participate, to, to say they're highly likely to participate in a choice program. But here we saw an interesting difference across New York State and California. In California, uh, it did have, for the school leaders in our, in our sample from California, it did have a significant negative effect on their willingness uh, to participate in the program, uh, the, the banning of copay. So they, they want to preserve the, the ability to require a copay for their, for their uh, voucher students. In New York, in contrast, it actually had a slight positive effect on the leader's willingness to participate. And I think what's happening there is that the New York uh, private school population is really dominated by the Catholic schools. And they're, they're basically going to accept the voucher as the full uh, cost no matter what. And so they want um, the, uh, their, their private school competition to, to, to be subject to that same, that same requirement. And so in, in New York, it actually was a plus if there was a, uh, a ban of top-up. In California, it was a minus. So I have to ask you a methods question, uh, Pat, because I noticed you got a fairly s low response rate. You, you, mail, uh, you sent this out by email, and I think in the end you got less than 10% responses. How confident that are you of your results? Do you, do you think that we can rely on your findings here? Sure. Well, you know, the industry standard for email surveys is a response rate of, of 7 to 10%. Um, that's what Gallup tends to get and other, other firms that rely on, on email surveys. So, so the, our, our rate, though low, is, is within the industry standard. Uh, we look at, at factors like um, differential response rates across the treatment and control conditions, we really don't see that, so that gives us some confidence that our findings are valid. We also look at um, whether or not characteristics, things we know about the school leader and their school, uh, are systematically predict response or non-response, and there are very few characteristics that you know that are significantly different um, across the respondent and non-respondent schools in our samples. So even though we have a low response rate, uh, we've, we've done some diagnostics that suggest that uh, response bias is not driving these results. So I want to ask you a couple of larger scale questions in conclusion, Pat. So some people say that if you don't have some regulations, private schools will abuse the program and the Milwaukee voucher program was very uh, wide open initially, uh, but they began to put some regulations downstream. And uh, a lot of people have said uh, Mil the Milwaukee experience is exactly the reason why we need to have some regulations on the on a voucher program. So how's your, what's your reaction to that line of thinking? Sure. Well, I think a very important difference, Paul, is that Milwaukee had a large, diverse, and vibrant set of private schools committed to their choice program before they required the state test be administered, before they put these regulations on it. And once the private schools are serving these students, 
you know, they, they want to keep doing that. They want to keep serving the students so they are more amenable to uh, accepting regulation once they're already in the program. I think the the problem with the Louisiana program was it was right at the front end, and and they were basically saying these are the terms of participation. Um, it has these two really big regulations: open enrollment and administering the state test. Take it or leave it. And and so you know, two thirds of the of the private schools said 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 they're going to leave it. Um, I mean, I I I do get your point. Uh, these are the sorts of regulations. We, we, you know, that, that, that are motivated by a concern uh, of private schools not, not cream skimming the best students and or counseling out difficult to educate students. Uh, and, and they also are, you know, an approach to accountability uh, in a voucher program when private schools are receiving public funds. So, so they do have a legitimate motivation. What we're doing is we're just suggesting this is the cost. This is the trade-off. If you have these regulations, you're going to have fewer private schools participating in the program, and you may lose some of your higher quality and more distinctive private schools. Those options will be taken off the table for parents. Well, you know, charter schools do have a lot of these same regulations. They do have the requirement of lotteries in most cases. They have state tests. They have many other regulations besides, and yet we've had we've seen the charter sector uh, continuing to grow, uh, at least uh, until very recently. So maybe the private sector needs to worry about the fact that they've got a charter sector that is regulated, but it's it's a competing sector that's that's offering choice to families, and they they need to uh, take into account the fact that their their competition is something they have to worry about. Sure, and, and I think at the same time, Paul, you know, we need to worry about uh, homogenizing uh, the school offerings available to parents. Uh, you know, the whole idea of parental school choice is to give families distinctive options. And, and so if, if charter schools become just, you know, uh, the, the close cousins of traditional public schools, and private schools basically are priced out of the market, you know, there are going to be fewer options available to parents, especially low-income parents who can't you know, move to the leafy suburbs uh, or, or self-finance private schooling in an independent private school. So I, I, I understand you know, the point about, about charters are, are able to operate with these kinds of arrangements. Um, they also get, get somewhat more... Uh, funding from the state than than private schools and voucher programs get, and and it is for charter schools. It's it's the the conditions for them to open. I mean, they have to accept these the regulations uh, of their state, or they can't open a school in that state. Private schools have an alternative. They can choose to participate in a choice program or not, and they're going to consider. You know the, the the pros and cons, the costs and benefits, and uh, the regulatory side and the regulatory burden is is one of the costs that they factor in. Well, you've certainly shown that with this uh, new piece of research that you have done, and you've shown the challenges that they face in Louisiana 
when they do uh, subject themselves to, to regulations. So thank you very much for joining me on the Education Exchange, Pat. Happy to be here, Paul. I've been speaking with Patrick Wolf, professor in the Department of Education Reform at the University of Arkansas and one of the country's leading experts on school voucher programs. I am Paul Peterson. This is the Education Exchange. Please join me every Monday at noon when our weekly podcast is released on the Education Next website.